Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. The word of God today comes from John's first letter, chapter 1, and I will be reading from verse 8 to 10. What does the word of the Lord say according to John? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. You will remember that the Apostle John was one of the disciples of Jesus, in fact one of the inner circles, one who had an opportunity to learn from Jesus himself, and now who writes to us what he has seen with his eyes, touched with his hands, heard with his ears, so that our lives may be edified, our fellowship may be strengthened, and above all God may be glorified. So what does the Apostle John actually say? In these verses that we have read, you will notice that the key theme that runs through them is the theme of Christian living in their relationship to sin. Can a true Christian sin? Now that sounds very obvious at the outset. And some of you might even say to me, you just read that from the Apostle John, so why would you even wonder whether Christians really do sin? But you will be surprised that we live in times where some people in Christian circles have begun to doubt that Christians actually do sin. For instance, we have a case of the modern grace movement that is not only believing but actually teaching and propagating that once a Christian, you no longer sin. But maybe before we even talk about their propositions or their teachings, we need to ask ourselves, who is a Christian? And as you probably know, a Christian is a Christ follower. He's a disciple of Jesus Christ. Somebody who has not only confessed Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, but one who continues to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, both to follow and to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. A Christian is one who has trusted in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, who understands that while dead in sin, the grace of God shone upon him, and by this very grace, not only has he been given new life, new hope, new beginning, but he is called to live diligently, reverently, and fearfully before the one who saved him. A Christian is not someone who just ascribes to a particular set of religious beliefs or practices, or one who joins the church or says a prayer or participates in certain sacraments. A Christian may do these things, but really it doesn't make one Christian. It's about God's grace, it's about God's forgiveness, and it's about the new believer, the new creation, beginning to walk in obedience to the call of Christ Jesus who died for him. Now having known this, can Christians really sin? And the modern grace movement today is saying that no, Christians no longer sin. This is what you are likely to hear the modern grace movement teaching. 
that once somebody has become a Christian, he is now beyond the realm of sin. Jesus has forgiven his sins both for yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and from then on, they are no longer under the power of sin, they no longer commit any sin, they live righteous and blameless lives. Now, that sounds good, isn't it? I hope this were true. But unfortunately, as we look at the verses of the scriptures, we will find that actually that's not the case. So where do the grace movement people find their confidence? Are there certain passages in the Bible that they read that probably tell them that once a Christian, you no longer sin? Yes, there are a number of passages you will find. And one of those key verses is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to what it says. Whoever is born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. The moment you read this verse, you almost are tempted to agree that indeed Christians are beyond the influence and the power of sin. John seems to be saying that once you are born of God and his seed is in you, you do not sin, you cannot sin. But then again, this brings in some confusion. Remember, we just opened with 1 John from verse 8 to 10. And what is the Apostle John saying? That if anyone says that he does not sin, he is a liar and the truth of God is not in him. So what does John actually mean? Is it possible that he can say in chapter 1 that whoever says he has no sin is a liar? But later in chapter 3, he is saying whoever is born of God cannot sin? Is John contradicting himself? Has he forgotten what he just said in chapter 1? And that itself would cause you to wonder. Because if John says one as a believer can sin, later he says he cannot sin. Is it possible that we can take one verse at the expense of the other? Or maybe is this a call for us to look much more closely to find John's intended meaning? And as you look at First John chapter 3, verse 9 very closely, you actually realize that what the passage seems to be saying is not what John is actually saying. You look at the Greek version of this verse, and you find that the Apostle John is using the present continuous tense. Instead of the verse saying that whoever is born of God does not commit sin, it actually says that whoever is born of God does not continue to commit sin. In fact, some other versions of the Bible say that does not practice sin. In other words, what John is saying is that as a Christian who has been saved by grace, the same grace enables you to want to live a righteous life. You develop a hunger for righteousness that you do not want to continue to sin. Does that mean sin will come? Yes. Does that mean you will be tempted? Yes. Does that mean that even sometimes you will fall into sin? Yes. But as a Christian, you will be grieved by your sin. You want to do everything possible to stay clear of sin and its temptations that you don't want to indulge in a habit or a practice of sinning. And this is what the Apostle John is saying, that Christians do not indulge, do not enjoy a life of sin. They are not habitual sinners. They want to do everything possible to stay clean and to live a kind of life that pleases their master. And you will also realize 
that indeed there is massive evidence from the scriptures that shows that Christians indeed do have the ability to sin. You just need to look at, for instance, the letter of James. Chapter 4 verse 8 says, That draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What is James talking about? Remember, James is speaking to believers, Christians, men and women who by grace have been forgiven and cleansed from their sins. Yet, James calls them double-minded. He calls them to purify their hearts and he calls them to draw near to God and to cleanse their hands. Why would he say so? James is trying to let us know that even as believers, not only do they still have the, the potential, the propensity to sin, but from time to time they fall into sin. And James is saying they must draw near to God so that God will draw near to them, but also enable them by his grace to repent from their sins and to seek to live righteously. You come to the letter of Paul to the Corinthians, the second letter, chapter 12 from verse 21. Remember, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. If you look at his opening statements of the letter, he even addresses the believers as saints, set apart people, men and women who have experienced the grace and the forgiveness of God. But listen to what he tells these saints at Corinth. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, sensuality that they have practiced. Now notice the phrase that the apostle uses here. I fear that I may come again. An indication that Paul had already been at Corinth before. Probably this has happened in between his two letters, and the first time he was there, he had warned them against their sinfulness and indulgence in impurity and sexual immorality. And he is saying that I fear that you Corinthian believers, I might come again and I have to mourn over you and rebuke you for your inability to repent of the sins that you committed earlier. What is Paul saying? That these people had actually sinned. But remember, he just addressed them as saints. In other words, saints yet sinners is what we find in the scriptures. That even as believers, we still sin. And as people who sin, there is an ongoing need for us to come back to God who first forgave us, to forgive us even of the sins that we commit from time to time. You come to the letter of Hebrews chapter 12 from verses 1 and 4. One of the most powerful messages ever given to Hebrew believers. And from verse 1, listen to what the writer says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Did you hear that part about sin? That let us lay aside the sin which so easily clings to us or so easily entangles us. He's writing to believers, but he wants them to have a continuous ongoing awareness that in their life as believers, 
they will find themselves in a struggle against sin. Sin seeks to cling to them, to entangle them, but they must seek to lay it aside as they continue to follow Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. Now you come to verse 4, and he even makes it much more direct. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In your struggle against what? Against sin. These are believers, but they are still struggling with sin. And the writer of Hebrews wants them to know that the war is not yet over. It's not even about to be over. While they live in this wicked and wretched world, they are bound to fall into sin. They must resist even to the point of shedding their own blood. So we have the writer of Hebrews again reminding us that sin is a constant challenge and struggle that believers must work through time and again in order to live Christ-honoring lives. You come to again First John. For instance, look at chapter 2 and from verse 1 and 2. What is the apostle John saying? My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Again, John is writing to believers. You can even see the intimacy, the personal affection and touch with which he addresses them. My little children, these were believers that were under his care and under his mentoring. And he's saying, the reason I write to you these things, the reason I refresh your memory about the gospel of Jesus Christ is so that you may not sin. You notice he uses the phrase may. He's not saying so you cannot sin. John himself is aware that they will sin. He wishes that they would be the kind who seek to live their lives in a manner that they won't sin. But the Apostle John also knows that it is realistic that they will sin. So what follows? He says that, but if anyone does sin, in the event that in your struggle to stay sin-free, you find that you have still fallen, it is not over for you. There is hope. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the propitiation for our sins is available for you, to cleanse you, to restore you, to bring you back into fellowship and relationship with God. Notice again what is very interesting here, that John is saying that he is the propitiation for our sins. He is not saying that he is the propitiation for your sins. An indication that John himself, the great apostle, considers himself as one potential of sinning. He includes himself in the community of believers who are capable of sinning. But he reminds them of the hope that they have in Christ. That our Savior is the kind who didn't just forgive us in time, historically, on the cross at Calvary, but one who continues forgiving us, continues forgiving us as we grow in our relationship with him time and time again. And again, we go back to what we began with, First John. John wants to help believers to know that as Christians, it is their call to live Christ-honoring lives. They must endeavor and stand firm so that they will not fall into sin. But he says that anyone 
who lives in denial of the fact that he sins is in big trouble. If anyone claims that he has not sinned, is not only a liar, but the truth of God is not in him. In other words, John calls these believers to humility, to understand and acknowledge their limitations as believers who are still human beings and still living in a sin-cast world. To realize that they have the potential for sin, but also to remember that they have the opportunity to be reconciled to God, especially as they cooperate with him about their sinfulness and find cleansing and righteousness in him. Now what happens when I choose to say, me, I am a modern grace Christian, and as such, I am beyond realm of sin. The moment I believe that way, already I have become proud and arrogant, I have begun to think that the Christian living is all about me. I have begun to live in denial of my humanity. It means that I'm not even likely to repent because once I believe that I do not sin, why would I even want to repent? If I believe that I no longer sin, why would I even want to depend on God? So even my dependency on God is now non-existent. I live as though it were all dependent on me. I live as though I'm saying, Jesus, thank you for the past and what you did on my behalf. Thank you for canceling the record of all my sins, past, present, and future. But now that I am clean and free, I'm on my own to do whatever I want. It means that I have to live in denial and also to redefine the meaning and understanding of sin in order for me to declare myself as sinless. And as a Christian, once you go that far, not only have you fallen off from the faith, but you are of all men most miserable. I believe that this is extremely important to continue to remind ourselves of the words of John, that what we need as Christians is not to deny our sinfulness, but to acknowledge it and come before the Lord so that we may be forgiven. Now, I am aware that some people from the Monad Grace Movement will actually discount chapter 1 of John's letter because they have been told to believe that this chapter 1 was written to Gnostic and believers who were a part of John's congregation. So they are quick to dismiss passages like John chapter 1 while interestingly agreeing that the rest of the chapters in the letter are applied to believers. But how do we know that John is actually not writing to non-believers? How do we know that this chapter 1 is really not written or targeting Gnostic and believers as some of these modern grace movement would have us believe? Well, you just need to look at John's address. He's addressing a community of believers. The language used is one of fellowship, one of intimacy, one of passion, one of a community that John is already familiar with. And you will also notice interestingly that when John addresses them, he uses phrases like we, us, and ours, an indication that he himself is included in this community and these verses actually do apply to him. And if John himself, the apostle, has the ability or the gusto to confess that he is a sinner or has a potential to sin, why would the modern grace movement want to say that they are not sinners? Are they saying they are far better than the apostle John who walked with Jesus, who learned from him, who sat at his feet? Of course no. The whole of John's letter is written to believers, and the believers had better take heed 
had better realize that they have a potential to fall into sin. And knowing this, have a total dependence upon the Lord Jesus who first saved them and who continues to forgive them. And that is why John reminds us that if we say we do not have sin, we are liars and the truth of God is not really in us. But if we admit that we are sinners and confess our sinfulness, the Apostle John wants us to know that not only is he faithful and just to forgive our sins, but he is even able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Can Christians sin? Yes. When they have sinned, what next? The Apostle John says, if anyone does sin, we have one who stands in on our behalf. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Will you admit your sinfulness? Will you come to Jesus who saved you and who continues saving you and forgiving you and cleansing you until he will present you before the Father on that great day? May the Lord bless you as you ponder these things. May the Lord help you to stay clear of the error of the modern grace movement. May the Lord give you the humility to understand your limitations and imperfections, but more importantly, to realize the hope that you have in Christ, that Jesus Christ, our Savior, the God of the agains, is able to purify you, to sanctify you, and to present you holy finally in the presence of the Father on that great day. May the Lord bless you. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.